Welcome to Women in the Word. I am so glad to be here. My name is Vanita Jones, and I am part of the teaching team, and I can honestly say it's my favorite place on earth to be, right here studying God's Word with all of you. I wish you could see your faces. They just shine. It's because you've been in God's Word, and I love that. And I love that we're in the Psalms. You know, I'm not a great, I'm not great with poetry, but the Psalms are beautiful. They're absolutely beautiful. And I love that we're camping out in the Psalms of David. You know, we spent the last couple of years studying the uh, life of David. And if you're new to Women of the Word, first of all, welcome. I am so excited you're here. You will not regret getting into God's Word, not one second. But I hope that you'll go back to the church's website and look for those studies. Because studying the life of David can teach us all something about our own lives. You see, studying the life of David encourages you because you see him shining. He's succeeding. He's the warrior king. He's a man after God's own heart. And then in the very next breath, he's making a mess of things. (laughs) Sound familiar? He made big messes and little messes. He did messes that stuck with him consequences the rest of his life. But we see David do something that is important for all of us to remember. When he messed up, he turned back to God. He would turn back to God and he'd repent, and then he felt worthy enough to get right back out there for God. It didn't stop him. He may have messed up, but he always turned back to God. He always repented and he got right back in the game. And I hope that reminds you of your spiritual life, your walk with Christ. There are times that we're just sitting on a mountain of blessings. We are winning everywhere. There is no way that God couldn't be happy with what you're doing in your life. And then the next word out of my mouth, I've made a mess of things. Sometimes little, sometimes big. But David's life taught me that I can turn back to God, repent, and get right back in the game. That's how we all live this life. Even the great King David, a man after God's own heart. It teaches us that in all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, all the everything in the middle, we're to be women after God's own heart. That's what David was. In all of it, God gave David, uh, God, David gave God the glory. The glory he was due. And when you tell your story, it should include all of that as well. It should be his story you're telling. That's David's story in a nutshell, and it should be your story. David not only took his mountaintop experiences, but he took even his deep valley experiences and everything in between, and he wrote them down. He wrote these psalms down, and and I think David must have been a very passionate man. Like, he had so much emotion and feeling, and he put it down in words, and, and you know, he set it to music. And I wish that we had him here today that he could just sing this psalm for you. But you can be glad I'm not going to. (laughs) Because I don't have a beautiful voice like I think David would have had. But we do have the privilege of reading these psalms. And they're wonderful. You know, the one thing I really love about the psalms is that no matter what you're going through that day, you can look at a psalm and it's going to hit you right where you are. There is a psalm written that will hit you right where you are for any minute of any day. And I think it's a great place to go to be prompted in your prayer life. Now, some of you know this about me, but um, sitting still is not one of my gifts. 
In fact, if I am sitting still, my brain is going 100 miles an hour. And it's a problem. It's a problem. It's, in fact, it's a miracle that I can sit still long enough to string all these words together and get up here and share with you what I've learned. It's a testament to God's amazing power is what that is. But prayer life is just as bad for me. For me to sit still and work through everything I want to pray about, I've already made a grocery list. I've already thought about everything else I need to do, everything else that's going on, and I've moved on four words into my prayer. And I don't know if you have that same problem, but, but I want to teach you something that you can use in the psalm. My son Casey taught me this. He struggled with this same problem as well. And he taught me, and some of us I may have told you about, so it's a reminder, but if it's new, listen up. When you're having that day and you can't get in, those prayer, in that prayer like you want to, go to the psalms. Think of the day, like today's the 14th. Scan Psalm 14. Just scan through it. Then jump ahead 30 psalms and scan the next one. And then scan ahead and do that. Do it five times. 30 psalms each time. Do it five times. One of those psalms, I guarantee you, is going to jump off the page and meet you right where you are that day. And then go back to that psalm and read it slowly and meditate on it. And then go back again and let each section of it prompt you as you go through your prayer life. It has changed my prayer life. And I hope that you'll try it because it's a great prayer hack when you're struggling. This week we looked at Psalm 9 and I hope that you didn't just scan this one. I hope you dug into it deep because this psalm is loaded with how we should live in a prayer. A life of prayer. A prayer... Prayers of thanksgiving specifically. We see it right from the very beginning. It's things that we can take, not only be thankful for God for what he's done for us, but we're going to be thankful for God for who he is. And I think it gives, gives us like what I like to call hope-filled thanksgiving. It's different than just being thankful. It's thanksgiving that helps us trust God because we've seen him work in our past, it's reminded us of who he is, and we know we can trust him with our future because of it. If you haven't already done so, I want you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 9 and follow along. I'm just going to read the first two verses. It says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Now, the first question I get just about every time is, is this written with some experience of David's in mind? Is it something he's thinking about? You know, I have no doubt that every psalm he wrote was based on something. But we're not always really clear what it was. And I, I tried to find that for you. Some say it could have been um, when he slayed Goliath. Because he seems to be in a good place for a few minutes. And some say, and maybe it's after, in 2 Samuel 8, he had just won several battles. He'd been on the battlefield against the Philistines, had some victories. Maybe it was then. We don't really know what that is. But, but honestly, I don't think it really matters in this case. Because I think what's important here is we're going to get to see David's heart, and he's going to teach us how to pray in a certain way. Now, on a quick side note, Psalm 9 is also written in a, in a way all of you English lit are going to love this, okay? It is written where about every other verse begins with a letter, successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 
And many believe that Psalm 9 and 10 used to be together and it was separated at one point because 10 does the same thing and it picks up in the Hebrew alphabet where 9 lets off. I don't know, means nothing for us today, but it's interesting. I know some of you would like to know that. But as you begin reading this psalm, it's easy to see that this psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving. He says it right in the first verse. He's very clear that he's thankful for what the Lord has done for him. And, I, and we first seem very determined to praise and thanks God, to thank God because we hear the words, I will, four different times in just two verses. And you know, if you read it two different ways, you get a different feel. It's like, I will give thanks and recount. I will recount. I will be glad. I will sing your praise. But if you read it this way, it feels even different. I will. I will give thanks. I will recount. I will be glad. And I will sing and praise your name. See, I think when he says, I will, he's talking, I'm looking back. And we see that. We know he's going to be looking back. But I think he's also resolved that he is going to praise God and, the, and give him glory for everything that comes into him in his future. He's resolved to do that. He is determined, and his aim is to give God the glory in everything. He resolves to do very, four very specific things. First, he says, I will thank the Lord wholeheartedly. See, for David, there was going to be no half-hearted, manby-pamby, thank you, like just off the cuff for David. Because he was a man after God's own heart. He knew, he knew that God deserved way more than just half-hearted thanksgiving. Look at Matthew 15 on your verse sheet. It says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, uh, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. See, David wasn't just thanking the Lord with his lips. He was thanking him with his whole heart, with everything in him. Wholehearted thanksgiving doesn't just thank the Lord for what he's done. See, it also thanks the Lord for what he's going to do. It looks forward with great faith, trusting the Lord no matter what the future holds. And it resolves to thank him and recount his great deeds. And he says that, I will recount your great deeds. Not only does he remember the Lord's deeds, he remembers, he, he resolves to recount the Lord's deeds. That's important. Not just remembering, but telling of them. Isaiah 12 says this on your verse sheet. And you were saying that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds upon the people, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. And we see David doing that. We're going to read it in just a few minutes in verses 3 through 6. But thirdly, he says, I will be glad in the Lord. He resolves to rejoice in the Lord in the good, the bad, and everything in between. Look at Philippians 4 on your verse sheet. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. See, that verse doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when you're drinking from your cup and your, from your saucer because your cup's overflowing. It doesn't say rejoice when you're a mountain of blessings and when everything's going great. Rejoice always. It says always. What does that mean? Always. 
in everything, no matter what you're going through, we're to give him our thanks and praise. See, the Lord had blessed David with a lot of victories, apparently, and David knows that his future is still uncertain. He's surrounded by enemies. He's going to be persecuted. He's going to have opposition. He knows the nation of Israel as well. But he's determined and resolved to rejoice in the Lord always. Always. That's not easy to do. But do you know how you do it? You determine today, right this minute, that no matter what happens, even if you're not in the weeds right now, before the bad stuff happens, you say, I am going to do that. I am going to praise God. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always. And I promise you, when you do that, you will begin to see the hand of God in everything. And the more you do that and you practice that, it becomes a habit. The more and more you'll see his hand in your life. Lastly, he says, I will sing praises to the Lord's name. See, he's not only determined to praise God because of what he's done for him. He's going to praise him because he's, he, he, everything he's done in his past battles, but because of who he is. He's going to praise the Lord because of his great name, because of his character. Look at 1 Chronicles 16 on your verse sheet. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. See, hope-filled thanksgiving is the kind of thanksgiving that doesn't just change because your circumstances change. Hope-filled thanksgiving happens when we focus more on the giver of our blessings than we do on the blessings themselves. The blessings in our life are going to ebb and flow. They're going to look different from day to day. But the giver of those blessings, the Lord, he never, ever changes. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 8 on your verse sheet. It says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It stands forever. He never changes. Also, Psalm 102 of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment, and you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same. Your years have no end. That should be a breath of fresh air to you right now. Because we live in this world where the truth changes more than the wind changes. It's no wonder that we're riddled with anxiety because whatever you believe to be true right now is going to be different by the time you lay down and go to sleep tonight. We have no truth or anything firm to stand on. I mean, I, I challenge you, think of one thing in your life outside of the Lord that's never going to change. You can't do it. The only thing that will never change is the Lord. And until you, like David, can fully grasp that truth, till you can fully understand that the Lord is never going to change, you're never going to be able to fully trust him with your future. It's to be able to praise God in his faithfulness in your past, your present, and your future, you have to fully understand that what you know to be true about God in your past battles... It's the same truth in your present and future battles because he is unchanging. Now, next, David goes on to do exactly what he said he's going to do. He recounts the Lord's deeds. Let's look at verses 3 through 6. It says, When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. 
For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to end and to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has, has perished. David's not only remembering, he's recounting what the Lord has done for him and the whole nation of Israel for that matter. You know, the definition of the word remember is to recall, to bring something to your mind, to use effort to think about something or someone so you can think about them and, and ponder on them. But the definition of recount is to recite. It's to tell or to narrate or, or to, to tell the particulars of something or someone that you've learned or you know. Both very important. But I think the recount is the part that really matters. And that's what David clearly says, recount the Lord's deeds. He doesn't just say remember those deeds. And to remember, to recount, you have to remember them. But don't stop with just remembering. There are people out there hungry for hope in this world. And if you keep all the things the Lord has done to you to yourself, they're never going to hear that. Recount what he's done. And in these verses, he says the words, I have, five different times. So we know he's remembering, I have. He's looking back. But he also says, I, he recounts. He starts to tell of what he's heard. And he gives God the glory in all of it. In all of it. Did you notice he doesn't say, thank you for, for making me so strong that I can be a great warrior and go out and fight your battles and win them for you. He didn't point at himself at all. He says every time the Lord clearly did all of it. He did all of it. Now remember, David was most likely writing this psalm um, after some great victories on a battlefield. I dare say most of us have never been on an active battlefield. Maybe some of you have. I don't know. I've been on a battlefield years later. It looks like a field with trees and grass. Nothing significant about it. But I have watched a couple war movies, which is about all I can stand. I don't love them. I don't love war movies, but I am married to someone who absolutely loves war movies. He doesn't just love war movies. He loves documentaries on war. He loves those YouTube videos where some, videos where some dude sits on a stool and literally for five hours discusses the battle strategy he used. And he'll just sit and listen for hours to this person. And if he's not watching something about battles and wars, he's reading about famous battles, not so famous battles. Anything, it doesn't matter to him. He just loves stuff about war and battles. So I've had to watch a few, a few, usually with one eye open, because I can't stand them. I, I don't love it. But I've surmised this from the few hours I've actually watched a war movie. War is no walk in the park. Not even Central Park after dark. It's not even, it's worse than that. It is violent. It's bloody. It's messy. It's loud. It's chaotic. All the reasons I don't want to watch them. I, I don't like any of that stuff. And King David... He was the king, so he would have been leading his men into these battles. He saw all of that. 
He witnessed all of that. And, and, and I'm sure on that battlefield, he lost friends. He lost warriors that he trusted. He lost, there were people injured that were still dealing with those injuries. And he looked back at all of it, all of it. And he saw the goodness of God. That's amazing to me. See, that level of thanksgiving doesn't just happen overnight. It's developed over time by being purposeful to be thankful and and making thanksgiving a priority in your life. And making discerning the hand of God something you do and practice every single day, even in terrible situations that you're in. Have you ever noticed, though, when you do that, if you stop in the middle of something or afterwards and look back, and you just start looking, looking for the hand of God, it will overwhelm you. He will show you where he showed up, and you didn't even think about it. You know, I got to experience this a, a while back with my husband, Cameron. I don't know if you know about this. He had a stroke a couple years ago on Memorial Day in, at, late at night, and I found him on the couch. He was not breathing, or barely breathing, not responsive. He was rushed to the ER. They put him on a vent. Um, they looked at me and said, and gave him medicine, said, we, we have no idea what to expect. We'll know something in a few days. And it was the most uncertain thing and crazy roller coaster I'd ever been on. But much to our surprise, 18 hours later, he's sitting up in his bed off the vent, eating roast and potatoes, sassing me around, telling me what to do in the room. And two days later, we go home. And that started a year of what we uh, just look back at as a lot of battles. Because it wasn't all rosy when we left there. He went to multiple therapy visits. Two or three a day, he had doctor's appointments when he wasn't in therapy. And just for the fun of it, we do a couple heart procedures because we had nothing going on that day. It was always something medical for like nine months of that year. It was something. And about three months after that, I had some time to sit back and look at those hard battles. You know, early on, he couldn't drive. He had double vision. He had terrible balance. He could barely walk in the house. He... He lost his words. He, it, was, it was a struggle for quite a while. And I looked back at those after about three months, and I was pondering on all of it. And I, God opened my eyes in his great love and started to show me all the things he had done for us during that time. It was amazing to me. And when he opened up, I was able to see all the ways he intervened. And I don't even mean in the, the way the outcome was. That was miraculous. I know that, and that was amazing. But in such little ways that I had missed that gave me peace in the middle of all of it that I can't even describe to you. And the people he used around me to help us and guide us and feed us and everything he did, he showed his love for us. And I was able to find peace in the midst of all of it. As I remembered one he would remind me another, and then another. And it was like a floodgate, and I was overwhelmed with it. And I thought at that moment, I have got to tell others about this. People have to know of the goodness of God. It's so important. And looking back reminded me of who God is and what he's capable of. And I was blown away by it. You know, I'd been a believer for years by that point, but I had forgotten the depths of the love he had for us. And how he loves us every single day. I, I, I never fully understood the thought of we're never out of his gaze. Things that people would tell you, his power, everything about him became in a new way. 
And David starts to look back and he begins to do exactly the same thing. Drop your eyes down to verse 7 uh, and we're going to read to verse 12. So that the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the people his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of, other, of them. He does not forget the city of the afflicted. Do you see it? David had been looking back in 3 through 6, and here we are. He's reaffirming what he knows to be true about the Lord. Things like, he says, we have a sovereign king. He's enthroned. He's in control. He's a righteous judge. He's a powerful stronghold. He's our faithful father. He never forsakes us. David had just been through one of the biggest battles in his life. And he made a point to recount all the ways the Lord had blessed him. And I have, knowing a little bit about David now, I have no doubt that David would have done exactly the same thing if the outcome would have been different. I think even if he wasn't sitting with all those victories behind him now, I think he still would have done the same thing because that's who David is or was. I say that because David's thanksgiving was not based on the blessings he'd received. His thanksgiving is based on the giver of those blessings. And when we do that, we're able to praise God even when we don't get the outcome we would hope for. Because we know, even though the outcome is different, we know we have a sovereign king. We know that he still fills that throne. We know that he is still in charge. We know that we can still be confident in who he is. And we know that our futures are secure with him, no matter what that future looks like. Our circumstances are constantly going to change. They could be changing right this minute. They could change tonight, tomorrow. We could live in this constant state of anxiety because everything's changing around us all the time. But when we determine to see the hand of God in all of it, we realize that in the light of the past, our future isn't uncertain anymore. Our future becomes secure. We have no doubt he's in charge. And when we affirm what we know to be true about God, it bolsters our confidence to trust the Lord with our future. And it gives us that confidence to go back to the Lord and then boldly just ask him to provide for that future. Provide for us, protect us in this future. And that's what we see David do in these next few verses. Look at verse, starting at verse 9. I'm going to read to verse 13. I'm mean, sorry. Starting at verse 13, reading to verse 18. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises. That in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in that pit that they made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget, the God, forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. See, although the Lord had blessed David and the nation of Israel with all these victories... 
there are still enemies all around them. They're still being persecuted. And, and, and the faithful followers, they're being oppressed by the local rulers who, because of their faithfulness to the Lord. But David, with confidence, cries out to the Lord to intervene in his future battles. He cries out to the Lord, the one he knows and now remembers very well is the one who is able and capable of rescuing him. And he starts out basically saying, save me, Lord, so I can recount your deeds again. He doesn't save me because I don't want to die or I'm scared. He said, save me because I can tell others how great you are. He's not only confident in the Lord's abilities, but with confidence, he vows to recount all the Lord does for him to anyone that will listen. He's determined to to recount the Lord's deeds no matter what it looks like in his future. And then he goes back and forth and he just lays it out. These are the things that's happening and we need your help here. And the faithful followers are being afflicted and and the poor are being abused and uh, oppressed. And he just feels free to do that now because he trusts the Lord and he knows he can go to him with it. Now at the end of 16, there are these two words and I know you're going to ask me about it later on. It's Hegean and Selah. Now, Selah is one that we see all through the Psalms. It means to pause. And remember, these are songs they sang. They would sing these, and so there would be a break. And a lot of times, it's a musical interlude. But Hegean is a word that's really, from what I read, only used in this one place in the Bible. And it's, it's a certain type of musical sound that mur- it's like a murmuring tone of a harp is what it said. It's a type of musical sound. And so their, their confusion is, is, is it actually meaning that's what the interlude is going to be, the sound of this harp, or is it they're pausing the sound of the harp? I don't know. doesn't matter. I just know you're going to ask me about it later, and now you can just move on to lunch. <laughs> and you'll have something to tell people at your next dinner party. But... Anyway, David um, continues on in the last two verses. Let's finish up. I'm just going to read the last two verses, starting at 19. It says, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. David ends his prayer with a call for the Lord to arise and do what he does best. Show David's enemies that the Lord is God and they are not. That's what he's asking them. Did you notice that he didn't do it like I would do it? He didn't say, okay, I want you to do this to them so they know. And do it this way and, and do this and then let me, let me watch it. You know? He didn't. He just said, do what you do best. I want your will to prevail. That was his greatest desire. The Lord's will to prevail. That is where every prayer we pray should lead us. Every single prayer should take us right to that place. A place where our will surrenders to God's will. A place where our desires now are lined up with God's desires. And we, could, and we know exactly what he wants us to do for that day. Even if it means just trust me. Even if we don't know what that next step is. Even if it just means trust me in what I'm doing. Now, we could probably spend all day breaking down all the historical things going on in this psalm. I have no idea what they all were, some of this, the oppression, the battles, all that stuff. But I think we'd be missing a really important aspect of this psalm. 
And I think that it is a wonderful example of how we're to pray. It's a psalm of praise and thanksgiving, obviously, but I think it's so, so much more than that. See, David showed us how to pray we're on mountaintops. He was on a little mountain of blessings, wasn't he, at the beginning of this psalm. And you know what happens every time you climb a mountain? I know this. I I climb mountains a little bit. You have to come down. You can't live up there. You can't live on the mountain. There's no oxygen. It's no place to pitch a tent. It's too cold. It's, the conditions are bad. You're going to come back down. And sometimes you're going to come down, and that descent is going to be nice and slow and controlled and steady, and you're going to enjoy the view as you go down, back down to that valley. And sometimes it's going to be fast, scary, and out of control. And you're going to hit that valley before you know it. But eventually, you're going to end up in the valley again. See, David's on this mountaintop drinking from his saucer because his cup's overflowing. But he knows he's soon going to be back in that valley. It's going to be surrounded by enemies. He's going to have persecution, opposition, oppression. It's all going to be taking place again. And I suggest it's not unique to David's life. I think we can all attest to the fact that our lives are a series of mountaintop and valley experiences. We might have some real boring, which I love, the little foothills in the middle. But it's usually high highs and low lows, isn't it? And all of it, we're called to live with hope-filled thanksgiving. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5 on your verse sheet. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is a will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Then look at Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. David's psalm of hope-filled thanksgiving reminds us of five very important things. Resolve today to praise God in all your circumstances. Be determined, just like David. Don't just say, I will do it, and, and look back at what he's done. Do, I will do it, meaning I will do it even when it doesn't feel good and it's happened to me. I will look for you and praise you for all circumstances. Secondly, be intentional to remember and then recount all his blessings. Don't just sit quietly and remember what he's done. Take what you've learned and tell others. It's so important. They're waiting for that hope that you have. I suggest one way I do it, because it's hard for me to sit still long enough to do it, is once a day I just write down on a, a little notepad I have five things from that day. And don't look past that day. Look in that day. It could be the worst day you had or the best, but you can always find five things, and God will help you find them. And write them down. Thirdly, look back and let that looking back reaffirm what you know to be true about God. Look back and affirm what you've already witnessed him doing is still doing because he doesn't change. In fact, I say take that notepad, I do this sometimes, and next to that, that, thank, that praise or that blessing you've written down, just let it, put an attribute of God next to it. Maybe he's, you saw a baby step in a restoration of a relationship of a family member or a friend, and just say he's a God of restoration. He's in control of everything. Just put it, 
Put it out there and it reminds you of who God is. So your thanksgiving is teaching you more about who he is and reminding you. And then boldly, because now you know who he is and reminded yourself, go to him and boldly ask him for protection and provision. But most importantly, I think this is the most important part, with confidence in that prayer with your will, not mine. Be willing to say that prayer. That's an important part of your prayer. That Lord's will will prevail in all your circumstances. You know that since that crazy year my husband and I went through, we've had a lot of time to reflect on what's all the battles we faced. And we've talked about it a lot. Uh, But I can guarantee you we've still got more battles in our life that we're facing. Things that have brought heartache, things that have caused despair and disappointment and frustration and and all host of emotions. But when we ever start to feel really discouraged and, and maybe a little overwhelmed with all the other battles that just keep coming in your life, we always do the same thing. We stop and we start back at the beginning again. Back where we know to go and what we can do, we know that we can resolve to be thankful even right now. Ask the Lord to show us. We ask him, show us where you're working and help us be thankful for all of it. And then we remember what he's done for us. And we let that lead us to reminding us who he is. And then before you know it, we're right back at his throne again. Boldly taking all of these heartaches to his feet and laying them down there and, and asking him provide in these circumstances. Show your hand in these circumstances. And you know what? Before you know it, the Lord's desires begin to come our, become our desires again. And the desires of our hearts are just like the, the Lord's desires. And we want that, we, we find ourselves in that sweet spot, that spot where we know that He's God and we're not. It's a beautiful place to be, it's a beautiful place to live. And when we know because of what He's done for us in our past circumstances, we also know that we can trust him with our present and our future circumstances, no matter what those end up being. Please pray with me. Father, we love your word, and we love that each time we go to it, you show us new and valuable things for our lives. Father, I pray that we become women who are filled with hope-filled thanksgiving. Father, I pray that it just comes back to us in a way that we can't but tell others about who you are and what you're capable of, Father. Other people need to hear it and make us bold with that, Lord. I pray that we remember who you are all the time and are willing to share that with others at any point. Father, I pray that we take this out of here and it changes our hearts. That, Lord, we will pray to you with a new confidence and a new resolve, remembering who you are and what you're able to do in our lives. We love you, and it's your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Vanita.